Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Anybody want to guess what is the most repeated command in Scripture? More often than anything else, the one command that is repeated most often is, Fear not. Do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous. In fact, some version of that command is 300, somebody actually counted up 366 times that command is given, which means there is a fear not for every day of the year, including leap year, okay? Now, I don't think that's by accident. I think God knows everything that he's doing, and he has it all planned out really well. And I think, why does he do that? Because life is filled with challenges, And we need to be reminded every single day, do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous. You're not alone. I'm with you. This morning, we're continuing in this series um, called uh, The Story. And we're looking at a man named Hezekiah who had a major life challenge. He was king in Judah. And by the way, just by show of hands, how many here would say, I am right now at this point in my life facing a pretty difficult challenge of my own? Anybody? All right. Okay. So yeah, there's a few of us in that. Okay. If you did not raise your hand, rest assured, your time is coming. Because <laughs> it's true. Life is filled with those challenges. And, and what we're going to look at this morning when we look at the life of Hezekiah, king of Judah, is how he faced those challenges because he gives us a great pattern for how to handle those things in ourselves. So let me give you kind of the story so far, just kind of catch up to speed. The last couple of weeks, we've been looking at a time in Israel's history where it's called the Age of Kings. And what has happened in the nation of Israel is because of these kings and their wickedness and their inability to lead the people in God's ways, in fact, choosing to do it their own way, it has is, it is totally ruined the kingdom of Israel. In fact, it actually divided the kingdom in two at one point. And now they're at a point in their history where there is a northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. And over 200 years, God has been constantly sending prophets to the nations of Judah and Israel saying, you've got to turn back to me. This idol worship, this wickedness, this evil doing, all this stuff that you are doing, it is not right. And it's time to come back to God. And time after time, you see this pattern all through this period in their history where so-and-so became king and he reigned for so long and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And he died and another king rose up. And he reigned so many years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And that pattern goes on over and over again. And God keeps sending prophets, minor prophets and major prophets, like we talked about last week. Keep telling the people to return back to God. Put your trust in me. Get rid of the idol worship. Get rid of these despicable, wicked things that you're doing. It's time to turn back to God. And finally, after over 200 years of them choosing their own way, God has finally said, enough. And what happens is that the empire, the Assyrian empire, comes and totally destroys the kingdom of Israel. The whole northern kingdom is wiped out. Over 27,000 of the ruling class are taken off into exile into Assyria. And that is the end of Israel. Now all that is left is the southern kingdom. Two tribes left of the 12. And it's the kingdom of Judah. And that's where we pick up the story. If you want to kind of follow along, we're in 2 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1, um, and if you've got a cop, your copy of the story with you this morning, it's on page 220, the bottom uh, paragraph there. It says that in the third year of Hosea, king of, Ala, 
Ella, king of Israel, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Of the 29 kings that reigned throughout this time in both Israel and in Judah, only five of them, it is said, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. 24 of them did what was evil. And Hezekiah stands out above all of them because he instituted reforms in the nation of Judah like none of the other kings before him. What happened was that, um, that Assyria came in, destroyed Israel, and now that Israel has, has fallen, now the king of Assyria has set his sights on Judah. And they have come into Judah. They have actually laid siege of the nation of uh, Judah, laid, laid siege of the capital city of Jerusalem. And now the king of Assyria with this mighty army that has destroyed nation after nation after nation, now has set his sights on Judah. And what he does is he sends out some emissaries to speak to King Hezekiah. And he doesn't do it in a private conference room. He does it right outside the city gates where all of the soldiers who are lined up along the walls can hear what he's saying. And this is what the, they say to him. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have the counsel and the might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending? That you rebel against me. If you say to me, we're depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you could put riders on them. How can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you're depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this place without word from the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. What he's doing is he's working in psychological warfare. He is saying to Hezekiah in, in the in the hearing of all of his soldiers, I'm here, I destroyed Israel, I'm here to destroy you. I have overthrown nation after nation after nation. You can't stand up against me. You might as well give up now. In fact, in the same way that God used me to destroy Israel, God has sent me to destroy you. So he is just like totally decimating the morale of the, of the army and of Hezekiah, because now Hezekiah is faced with an insurmountable challenge. Not only does he have an army that is laying siege to him that he cannot possibly overcome, but now he risks the mutiny and the revolt of his very own soldiers from within. And it's the greatest challenge he has ever faced as king. And what he does in this moment is a great pattern for every one of us. What do you do when you're faced with those kinds of challenges that are so overwhelming to you that you can't see a way through it. Here's what Hezekiah does. First thing, 
you enlist the prayers and the counsel of godly people. You find other people who will support you in prayer. Because what happens? What happens when you're faced with a difficult challenge? What happens when something comes out of nowhere? What happens when you're faced with the decision that you know if you do it this way, it's going to be hard? What happens when you do that? One of the first things that happen is you begin to fear. You just you start to feel fear. And if it's not fear, it's a second cousin, worry, which is just another form of fear because that's how we react. It's kind of how God hardwired us up. Fear is a good thing. It is meant to alert us to dangers so that we would take action and move. Okay, That's a good thing. But fear can also be debilitating and paralyzing. There's, a, there's actually um, a type of goat that, that actually it's, it's hardwire is kind of mixed up. I don't know if you've ever seen anything like this, but when they are shocked, when they are stunned, when something happens that surprises them, what they do is they paralyze in fear. They're called fainting goats. It looks kind of like this. You ever felt like that? <laughs> just something so surprises you or so overwhelms you that it just paralyzes you. You feel like you're just kind of falling over like that. That's a natural reaction. So what you need is a support network of people who can be there when you feel weak to be there and be strong for you. And that's what Hezekiah does. One of the first things he does is he reaches out to the prophet Isaiah. Now, Hezekiah was one of the only, one of the few kings that really had a good relationship with the prophets of God. Most of them didn't like what the prophets were saying. But Hezekiah had a great relationship because of the reforms that he had brought. So what he does is, it says he sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, and Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. And this is what he tells him. He says him this message. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace. As when children come to the moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. Now, I don't know how Hezekiah knows what that feels like because I don't think he ever experienced pregnancy. But I have talked with a few pregnant women who get to that last stage and they just want it to be over. Okay? And Hezekiah is saying it's kind of like that. I have worked so hard with all of these reforms. I have worked so hard at turning the people back to God. I have done everything I can, and now we are faced with this challenge, and I got nothing left. It's like I've worked so hard and looked forward to this time that I thought would going to be a time of great success, and now it's so hard, I don't have the strength to deliver. I need someone to pray with me. I need someone to pray for me. And that's what he does. He asks Isaiah to pray. He says, It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the field commander, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray. Pray for the remnant that still survives. You need the prayers of other people. Sometimes you need the faith and the strength of other people. Because you're so overwhelmed, you don't feel you can do it on your own. 
It's, by the way, one of the big reasons why we put such an emphasis on being part of a faith community, being part of a church, being part of a community group, so that you build that kind of a network, a support network, for when you need the prayers of other people. 25 years ago or so, when we were still dreaming about and thinking about planting this church, I went and there was not a whole lot of instructions on how do you plant a church. So I went and talked to some people who had done it. And one of them gave me this great piece of advice. He told to me, if you're going to go plant a church, you need more than anything else a prayer support network. You need a group of people that you can depend on who will pray for you because there will be times you will be discouraged. There will be times that you will feel defeated. There will be times that you wonder what in the world you are doing. There will be times when it will just be too much for you. And you need to know that there are other people praying for you. It was the best piece of advice I ever got. And I went to people in my home church in San Francisco. And there were a few key people there, some men of God that I knew. Just, they were, some of them were elders in the church. One of them, his name was Frank Klassen. And Frank was my go-to guy. He was an older guy. And I went to him and I told him what I believed God was calling, calling me to do and calling us to do. And I said, I need prayer because this is something that's beyond me. Would you be my prayer network? And he agreed to do it. And he was the person, when I got discouraged, when I got defeated, when I felt overwhelmed by things, he was the one person I could call Frank. I said, Frank, I need your prayers right now. I'm just really going through it. And every once in a while, we would go back for an event or a wedding, or we'd see him at different occasions and everything. And every time I would see Frank, he would say to me, I'm still praying for you. I'm still praying for you. For 15 years, he faithfully prayed for me and for our church. About 10 years ago, he passed away. But I know to the very end, he was someone who supported me with his prayers. He was the person I could go to for counsel and support. You need those people in your life. Because if you're not facing a challenge right now, you will. And when you do, you need that network of people. And that's one of the things that Hezekiah did. The other thing that he did is that he was willing to honestly admit the reality of his fears. And that's an important thing. See, Hezekiah finds himself caught between trust and fear. He believes in God, or he wouldn't have instituted all those reforms in the nation. He believes in God, but now he is faced with a challenge that is absolutely overwhelming to him. And he's caught, like many of us are, caught between trust and fear. I want to believe God, I want to trust God, but I'm not feeling all that confident right now. And you almost can hear it in in his words to Isaiah. He says to him, it may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the field commander, and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. It may be. I don't know if you caught that the first time around. He's not sure. He knows this is way beyond him. And he knows he needs God's help. And he wants to trust, but he's not confident. And he's just simply saying, it may be that God will intervene. Now, sometimes I think we're afraid to admit our fears because that somehow expresses doubt or lack of trust in God. And that's just not necessarily true. A number of years ago, back about 30 years ago, there was kind of this wave that went through the Christian church, this kind of um, name it and claim it theology, where all you got to do is speak a word of faith, just claim those promises of God and don't give in to defeat and never make a negative declaration. And, and, and there were, at the church that I was in, there was actually a few people that kind of bought into this whole thing. And there was a guy who was really, really sick, just going through stuff health-wise. And I would ask him from time to time, how are you doing? He goes, I'm healed. I just have the symptoms left over. And I wanted to say to him, but the symptoms are killing you. <laughs> the symptoms are making you just miserable. What's the difference between that and just admitting you're sick? 
See, if I think it's all up to me to muster some sense of bravado, if it's up to me to muster some sense of courage, to never speak a negative declaration, then that puts it all on me. And that's not faith. That's putting it all on me, my ability to think the right things or to say the right words. And that's magic. That's not God. That's not faith. See, you can come to God and honestly admit your fears because he can handle them. And by the way, just the fact that you come to God in prayer, that is faith enough. Because it's not faith in faith. It's not faith in your good words or your positive thoughts. It is faith in God who is bigger than the problem that you're facing. And God can handle it. You can risk being fully honest with him. So not only does he do that, but he also has his own prayer. And it's recorded a little bit later on. Verse 16. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. And they have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. He's saying, God, it's true. It's true. This is overwhelming odds to me. This army is huge. They are greater than the army that I have. And they are powerful and they have laid waste to many other kingdoms before they got to us. And we're small and we're slim pickings when it comes to what they've got against us. It's all true, God. I'm not going to pretend it's better than it is. But I'm turning to you. See, sooner or later, every one of us in this room are going to face those moments when we are going to be choosing between trust and fear. You will have those moments. And you can trust God with a little bit of fear left over. You can be honest about him, about the fears. But here's what you do. In the face of your fears, trust God anyway. See, every parent that has stood in the pool with your two-year-old child up on the curb there and, and said, jump, you know exactly what it is that God asks us to do. <laughs> Maybe on a smaller scale, but it's the very same thing because you put your child up there, they're standing there on the edge of the pool, and you say to them, jump, daddy, I'll catch you. And they are caught with the very same choice that you and I are caught with every time we face a difficult challenge. Will I trust or will I step back in fear? And there's consequences to the choices that we take. Every time the child stands on the edge and chooses to jump, even though they're afraid, they discover daddy is strong enough to catch me. Mommy is strong enough to catch me. And every time they take a step back in fear, they miss the opportunity to discover the strength of their mom or their dad. And the same thing is true with you and I. We are faced with a challenge. And it's like we are standing on the edge and God is saying, just jump. I'm here. I'm going to catch you. Trust me. And in that moment, we're faced with that decision. You can jump with a little fear left over. See, that's what Hezekiah is going through. And where he finds his strength and his resolve in, not in his own abilities to muster up courage, he finds it in the character of God. Listen to the end of his prayer. 
He says, yeah, Lord, it's true. It's true. This army is huge. It's bigger than us. It's, they've devoured bigger nations than us. We don't stand a chance against them. They have destroyed them. They destroyed their gods. But they were not gods, only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. See, all throughout Scripture, it's fear that keeps people from taking steps of faith. And that's why all throughout Scripture, you find that command. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous because I am with you. See, that's always the second part of that command. Don't be afraid for I am with you. The prophet Isaiah said it over and over again. In fact, one of them is found in Isaiah 41. Maybe these are the words you need to hear this morning. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And what happens because of Hezekiah's prayer, because of Isaiah's prayer, God moves and does something incredible. Overnight, sends a plague that just decimates all the Assyrian army, so much so that the king wakes up in the morning and realizes he doesn't have enough men to attack the city anymore. And that, by the way, is the beginning of the end of the Assyrian empire. They disappear from the map. No longer, no longer around. And it happened because of the prayers of someone who in great fear trusted a great God and in the face of his fear said, I'm going to trust you anyway. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.